Welcome to Real Wealth, Real Health, the show that empowers you with insights, information, and inspiration to achieve your version of financial wellness. Learn how to balance living a full life today with planning for the future. This podcast is brought to you by Alpha Investing, a real estate-centric private capital network that provides exclusive investment opportunities to its members. And now, here are your hosts, Ada Piedrico and Daniel Coca. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Real Wealth, Real Health. Our guest today is Tracy McWilliams. Tracy is the founder and CEO of Inspire Global Ventures, where she bridges her experience as an investment banker with a passion for entrepreneurship, knowledge of government entities, and advocacy of technologies that inspire breakthrough problem solving. Tracy knows the ins and outs of what it means to be a good founder from her experience of investing in early stage companies. It was that experience that led her to recognize an enormous gap in the marketplace for investors and early stage companies. Tracy founded and launched the Jaspi technology platform, creating a new standard for people and corporations investing in private transactions. In our episode, Tracy breaks down the key factors that contribute to a successful startup, including criteria to look at when evaluating a potential investment. She also talks about the idea that anyone can be an entrepreneur, and she shares advice for founders who want to pivot but aren't sure if the timing is right. If you're already an early stage investor or considering investing in a private transaction, this startup will give you invaluable insights that will help not only your selection process and portfolio, but also the founders and companies that you're investing in. Tracy, it's so good to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Adapia. It's great to be here. So you are a very special person to me, whether you know this or not, you are one of the women who has made such a huge impact on my life. And I have so much respect for you. And when we first met like seven years ago, I thought I want to grow up and be like so much about how to be a good investor, a good business person, a good founder, and, and even a good capital raiser. I appreciate you so much. And you know your trajectory from investment banking to angel investing to now being a founder breaks a lot of perceived barriers that people might think about or that they have about when somebody should be a founder, you know, like, oh, just right out of college, you know, these kids out of college, but you're taking this on after having been in investment banking and angel and VC. And I just think it's so fantastic. So could you talk a little bit about why you decided to take that leap into being a founder at the stage of your life and what you're working on? Yes. Well, I think it's, I think the idea just came to me. And so it wasn't anything that was planned. And I think that's how a lot of entrepreneurs and whether they're out of college later in their life, mid-stage in their life, I think that's how people really do it is they have an idea. And the idea is to do something that is either disruptive or improve what is going on with the marketplace, whatever they choose to do. And that's what happened with me in the last when we were like on lockdown. I just had this idea being an investor and being a VC and coming from investment banking that I wanted to bridge the gap between corporates and early stage companies because there's really two separate paths completely. And unfortunately, being in both areas 
advising companies and investing in companies, I saw the gap because I lived it. I had no ability to really manage my assets anywhere, no ability to really interpret what corporates needed to look at early stage companies. And so it was more of the idea came to me than anything else. And it was a, such a compelling idea that I just had to take an action and move on it. And so it wasn't a thought process like, wow, I'm at this point in my life. But now that I'm further down the road, it is exciting, but it's also very time consuming. But it is worth it because I'm seeing things come to fruition that I put together through this concept. And can you talk a little bit about about your company and that gap that it fills? Because it truly is a white space and one that maybe other investors like you that invest in VC and angel and startup, and they might not even know they need this. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It's, there is a very fragmented marketplace and the marketplace is extremely fragmented when it comes to early stage companies and whether it's corporates investing in early stage companies, institutions looking at early stage companies or family offices looking at early stage companies, this whole alternative asset, private private investment side, there's such a need for individuals to get into it, but there's no way to manage that process. They're doing it on Excel spreadsheets. We went through, my partner and I, looking at voice of customer for this space, and we interviewed hundreds of users that or investors in early stage companies. And what we found was they were using anywhere from three to 10 technologies just to manage their review and investment of early stage companies. And so the market is so fragmented. How do you pull that together, especially from the corporate side? You know, we're seeing so much disruption in massive institutions and corporations, and they want to stay nimble. They want to be innovative. But some of their innovation departments, that were, that's where they put people to like kind of, you know, figure out what they want to do next. And so the question is, how do they evolve? And so this idea came, it was called Jaspe, and it's a technology platform that manages the whole process and simplifies managing, looking at technologies, looking at investments, as well as getting data that supports those investments. Right. Yeah. I, I went on the website and when you showed it to me, I thought, I can't believe it. nobody's thought of this before. I know it's not something that we would use for our real estate investments, but if we had something like it that can consolidate, you know, Dan, like all the reports and all the things that come from the sponsor and, and maybe some news, like some macroeconomic news and company news or industry news, like it, it's just all on one dashboard. And I just think it's, I just think it's brilliant. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, you know, it's tough as an early stage company, because when you start out, it's all about, you know, the, the things that allow you to survive, right? And that's what you focus on. And then all of a sudden, all of these other things, like the organization and things that actually allow you to grow, like they kind of got put to the wayside for a while, and then you got to figure it out really quickly, right? And so it's, it's nice to have a solution you could plug in and, you know, just kind of get there uh, much faster than, than you otherwise would be able to. Yeah, there's a lot of chaos in the early parts of building a company. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, where's that email that that document was attached to? Somebody needs it. Or where's the AIN or where's any of my formation documents? And then you get to a point was I want to track this company that I invested in. Where do you do that? And there's not a lot of simple solutions that pulls everything together in one place. 
I wonder if you could adapt that for real estate sponsors. Cause like we, like we only work with sponsors of a certain level, like so mm-hmm. many years in so many, so much AUM, but we meet a lot that maybe in two, three, five years would be perfect. So if we could track them consistently and check in with them, that would actually be, a, that I mean, maybe that's like your, your, your next, your next thing is to hit the real estate industry. <laughs> you know, what is funny that you mentioned that I had a conversation today with uh, my business partner and it's the same. We had this conversation because she spoke with someone who's using Jaspi for private transactions. It's actually an institution, a university, but additionally, he is in the economic development area and he invests in real estate and not as you're talking about not large sponsors for example and he asked us could he loves the system so much could the system be used for real estate and the answer is yes we are looking at that because one of our advisors also is mentioned that this would be perfect for smaller to mid-sized real estate investors and it could be a mom and pop or it could be a small investment real estate investment company that doesn't have a place to manage all this so the answer is it came up today as a matter of fact so we are looking at that amazing i'm not surprised because it it's just it's so needed and i did want to ask you so you did investment banking and can you run through really quickly? Um, because what, where I want to get to is how your experience it being in investment banking, angel VC advisory helped you as a founder. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to start really that, you know, my belief system is that there's that life necess- isn't necessarily linear. Mm-hmm. So most people think if I do this, then I'll get here or I'll do this and I get here. And they think everything is either generational or it's linear. You take one step to the other. I really have not really lived life that way. It's it's whether the opportunity comes up, whether I want to create something else in my life. And so at any point in your life, I do believe that you can create anything you want. And at this point, I started in investment banking because it, it made sense. And that's something I wanted to do at the time. And I was financing debt and corporates for with an investment banking, mostly out of California, some other local states nearby. And then from there, I decided I was looking at private transactions and just decided to move on from private transactions, obviously, to do more VC investing. And then from there, it created this company. What's interesting is we have choices as we go along and the experiences in each one of our experiences in life lead us to have an understanding of the next step or when you get to the next step to be able to implement it. So even if someone was in the entertainment industry and then went into banking, whatever they learned there, they were able to carry over because they're able to make decisions quickly and be able to implement based on their experiences of the past. So not everything has to be like, well, you're an investment banker and then you're you do this other thing. And that's okay. We all can have those experiences. What it did teach me, though, is I can the most successful early stage founders from my experience really have the ability to execute and implement and understand timelines and understand how to get things done and make quick decisions. And I think that's the expertise and experience that I've gained from all the past experiences that I've had. Yeah. Dan, I see you nodding. (laughs) I would love to get your take. I think it's such an important point. Like I I almost want to reiterate it. The whole like life doesn't need to be linear, you know, and people have been asking me, uh, my wife is is about to give birth any, any day now about like, well, what, like, what are your, your, 
advice for like you know, new parents or, you know, how do you think about like raising kids? And like, when I think back to like my own life, I just think it's really important to understand that life doesn't have to be linear. I, I remember when I was, I was working at the, my law firm in New York and I really wanted to get out of that game and I actually wanted to get into the, the venture space. And I went to this at the time as a place called General Assembly, which hosted like people from venture and startups and all related fields. And you'd go and there'd be different seminars or classes or panels or what have you. And I went to one about lawyers who want to be entrepreneurs. And every single one of the lawyers on the panel said, I was a lawyer at a law firm. Then I went in-house and became a general counsel at, a, at another company. Then something happened. Maybe that company exited, you know, an IPO'd, what have you. Then I got the opportunity to do something on the operational side. Then after that, I, we exited this. And then finally, I got to do what I actually wanted to do, which was be involved in the management of an early stage company. And I always thought, that's a really long path. Like I'm 26 years old, but like, I want to do this before I'm 40. Right. And so that's just a long way of saying that point, like it's something that it, it really uh, resonates with, with me personally and, and my life story for all the reasons you just mentioned. Yeah. What's, what's interesting is that entrepreneurs, and this is why I believe you can be an entrepreneur at any point in your life. They understand this more than anyone, because when you're an entrepreneur and you're going through, it's the best day of your life. And it's also the scariest and worst day. I mean, it's just, it's this roller coaster ride. So you're never thinking about linear. Well, if I do this step, then the next step will happen. And so it's always that the chaos and the risk and exactly what you're saying is they don't think linear. They just think they're just trying to get up in the morning and take the next step. So they don't actually go thinking, I mean, they see the big picture and that's what drives them, but they don't see it as a straight line. They just see as like, I just have to get up today and really make it happen today. And so exactly what you're talking about. And there's a lot of people that are really stuck in that whole linear. Like if I just do this and this step and then that step, and then the world changed so much in just the last couple of years. And we're all now like, wow. And knowing that I'm really happy I did start uh, Jaspi and have this technology platform because it wasn't expected and it wasn't linear, but it's also something that's very exciting and something needed in the marketplace. And so how, what is the most surprising thing about, to you about like being on the other side now of the founder investor table? You know, it's interesting when you're an investor, there's a certain level of like founders that are just like, I want to help you. Everything is great, you know, because you're an investor and they want you to invest. When you're a founder, you just become part of the founder circle. And it's like, oh, you're another founder, you're a founder. So you get people that are super supportive that just like, let me help you. I've been there. And you get people that are just trying to take the next step. And so you see all these different, that's the surprising part to me. The other thing is, I want things to go faster because I have the capability to go like make decisions quickly and move forward quickly. The problem is it doesn't move as quickly as I want it to move. And maybe that's just the entrepreneur's issue, but that I, I think is also surprising because I know exactly it's, we're very definitive on the next steps of what we're doing, but getting everyone else to move as quickly is a little more challenging than I thought it was going to be. 
Oh yeah. That makes sense. Do you find that like with the capital raising side of it too, and like pulling everyone together, because that's, that's always part of it is like kind of hurting cats and getting your lead. And how is like, how are you, how are you navigating that being on the other side of it? Well, it's interesting. We, we, we've had a lot of individual and advisors um, put money into Jaspi and we really, we took an untraditional path in the sense that even though we were in the seed round, our technology is live and we're actually revenue positive. So we're closing our round and going into seed one or even seed, you know, even series A, but seed one, and we're going to be raising more of a traditional round because we really never stopped. We had enough capital to grow the business, to keep it, to make it live. And that was a decision that really we made straight up front that no matter what, the money's going into the technology. Because one of the things that founders mistakes they made is they hire all these employees before their technology is done. And so we wanted to make sure because there was so much uncertainty when we came up with this concept because people are locked down. We wanted to make sure that no matter what, the technology would be live when we came out of this. And that's the direction we went. So it is, and we are have paying customers and clients that are loving the system. And now we're going to raise our, really our seed one larger round. That's fantastic. I did want to ask how you met your co-founder and what makes that partnership work so well? It's, it's really funny how we met. We, we actually met on a, we were both advisors to an incredible founder out of New York in the real estate space. She wanted to create a real estate tech technology platform. She's a high net worth um, broker in Manhattan, which is a tough market. And she's, she's excellent at what she does. And so we are both advising her. My partner's on the strategy, corporate strategy side. So she's been in corporate like I have, and also supports early stage founders. And so we met on a call and we met on Zooms and I just thought to myself, it was a complete compliment to my skill set. She's in strategy, she's in marketing. I come from the banking side. We just, I just knew that if I was going to do anything and I had nothing planned, nothing in mind, and it was several years later, I just thought she's somebody I'd want to work with. And then when this idea came, I reached out to her and said, hey, do you, are you interested in doing something like this? And she had just left her corporate job and she was doing strategy and marketing. And she has a background in uh, behavioral science, which really factors into our AI piece um, of Jaspi. And so she said, yeah. And so she hopped right in. And what's interesting that people don't realize is we spent probably a year and a half and we had never met except for on Zoom. Even when we were advising an early stage company, this early stage company, we had never met. So it was only in October of this past year, I was going, she's in right outside of New York. I was going to a wedding down. It happened to be at a venue down the street from where she lived. And she said, I'm coming over to meet you in person. And so it's pretty amazing. We connect and we um, have the same mindset. We get things done. We get them done efficiently and quickly, but we support each other and we have different skill sets. So we really match. It's, it's really, it's a story that will probably be told. Yeah. It's not never meeting your co-founder and just having, being able to build a technology company and then having it live and post revenue, then we decided we were going to meet. So it's a story. It says everything, doesn't it? About when things are meant to be. And also 
benefits that come out of situations that are, you know, like the pandemic was obviously not good, but so much changed for the better. I mean, there's so much innovation that came out of it. I can't even count the number of people that I've never met in person, but for the past two years have seen consistently in some form or another on zoom. And I have had the opportunity to meet a few of them like here or there. And it's always, it's always like, Oh, you're a lot taller than I thought you would be. (laughs) Or I just like, it's like, I don't, it's such an interesting experience. And yet there's such a close connection that after that first, like 30 seconds of like, Oh, weird, you're real, like 3d person. It just carries on as though we had never not met in person. Yeah, it's really, it is interesting because your brain, it takes a minute for your brain to like, well, wait a minute, I need to process this because what's interesting about not meeting in person, you don't have any, you know, judgment or preconception of like, oh, who this person's going to be. You just like, you just hear what they're saying and you just go with it. And that's that trust factor that, and your intuition of like, you know, not everything, you don't have to like push through everything and try to make it perfect. You just have to sometimes just take step by step and let, you know, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And that's, it's, it's been a great partnership. I feel, you know, really grateful to have connected. Perry Richmond is her name, by the way. So oh, it's amazing. I mean, we, I know Dan and Dan and Fark were um, co-founders of Alpha and Anne and I, the other two principals. Now we've been there for about four years. And we always say, I say it all the time. Anyone who knows me knows, I say we're so in alignment and it's such a wonderful experience to have that. Like there is no drama there. There's, there's nothing but just getting things done and being aligned. And, and we don't need a bunch of people. We're small too. I mean, we only just started bringing in some, some, some people like a couple of years ago, right, Dan. And, and it's just, you know, we're at that, that point where we don't need to be a ton of people. And so we can run lean and it changes, like it changes everything for our experience as well. So that's a long way of saying that I really appreciate that about your partner, because I think that's one of the most important things for those founders working in a business for it to be successful. Yeah. And I I do agree with that because we all have had experiences and I'm sure each one of you can talk about experiences where you either invested in or supported founders that there was just a lot of drama. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have drama with my married life. I don't have drama with my business life. So that part makes it easy because the day-to-day of life is drama. There's a lot of chaos and drama, just trying to get through the day of whatever it is. And so some people do well with that, but I find that founders that are really focused and aligned are able to create a more successful company in a quicker manner. And the chaos usually sometimes doesn't end well. If there's too much chaos within, within a team, you know, you're looking at, so makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a real, it's a real gift. And sometimes it takes some time to find, to find those right, to find those right partners. And I know a lot of people I've spoken to lately, like a few people who are in, in corporate and they were saying, I'm thinking about one woman specifically who she was saying, you know, I never thought I could be an entrepreneur. And I know that for, for a lot of people, that hearing this, I think is going to be really inspiring to them because you, you can be, it's not like some special magical thing. Like you said, like you had an idea, you started to execute on it and it, you know, and it's coming together because you have, because you have the right partnership. So I think that that all of that is like, hopefully really inspiring to anybody who's considering, you know, and I think a lot of people are, I think the pandemic has, has pushed a lot of those buttons for people where they, not that they want to resign because, oh, it's the great resignation, but I feel like people just want to do something more. They want to express themselves creatively. They want to give 
of themselves in a different way and see what they're capable of in a different way. I feel like the pandemic really accelerated that inner fire of creativity. I think it has. And I grew up an entrepreneur family, so I, I saw it every day and I lived it every day. And so it really is, there is, you know, everybody can be an entrepreneur. You just have to be willing. You have to be a risk taker and you have to be comfortable with change and uncertainty. And I have so much respect for anyone that just sticks a flag up, you know, gets a sign made, gets a logo made and says, you know, I'm in business. Because they don't know if they're going to get clients. They don't know what the next steps are. They just believe that the next, that they're going to somehow make it work. And so I have the utmost respect for any entrepreneur, no matter where they are in life. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And one thing I'll add, it it requires a a good bit of, if, if I, if I can say that, to think that you're going to kind of get out there and you're just going to make it happen. You know, that kind of blind confidence is something that you know, while silly in retrospect, you know, knowing how things play out is actually a really important part of putting yourself out there. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that if you actually knew what the road was paved with and how much, you know, twists and turns, you know, some people may not take it because you're right. It's just, you just have to believe that it's going to work itself out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like the, it, I know Dan always says I'm, I'm some kind of eternal optimist of sorts, but yeah, so many times you, you take these leaps and all those leaps I know that I've taken where thankfully I didn't really think it through certain things. They worked out really well because there was an optimism in me where I just knew that it didn't matter. It, w- it would be okay. And, and I think in the in the entrepreneurial space, that's actually your fuel because if nobody has paved that road before, then nobody can tell you you can't do it because we get so bogged down by that. Oh, you can't do that. It's never been done before. And who are you to change it? And it's like, well, why not? You know, that's that. I love that. The naivete. It's like, yeah, well, says who? Let me try. (laughs) Yeah, no. And what's interesting is that not every idea is going to be an original idea and be a hundred percent perfect. And so it really is the team that makes the concept go as opposed to the concept that is the concept that's investable. And so companies that I've invested in, and we've all had great companies, and then we've all had companies that didn't do as great, but those companies, it was the team. So they may have had the best concept. I mean, I've invested where there's just the best concept. They're way ahead of their time, but the team couldn't execute or there was a lot of changes in the world. Otherwise, there's, you know, an okay concept, but an improvement on what's going on. And all of a sudden, like they're able to execute and make it happen. And so even if you have an idea that improves on something, I think it's it's worth exploring if that's the direction. I mean, you know, really that's kind of where we were. There was a major gap in the marketplace. There was a fragmented market and being able to implement something that improves how people uh, interact in the private market space, whether it's creating an ecosystem, which is one of the things that Jaspi does as well, but also being able to implement ideas at the same time and, simplify your life. I mean, there's just so much, so much to do every day on everything. Yeah. What do you think about just along these lines about pivot as like, especially because you've invested so much and speaking about teams and, you know, if given that the team is really the core component of, of the success of almost anything, what do you think about that as it relates to when a company needs to pivot and how, um, 
basically, what do you think about that in terms of like when you have to pivot or is it like, is it an okay thing to do? Like, what do you think about that? I think you need to really think it through. I think when you put together a plan and you start implementing that plan, you have to be open, open to pivoting, but there's a timing element to it also, because what happens is some people are just about to turn the corner and be successful. And they're like, oh, this isn't working. And they pivot, but you really have to do a backed on, you have to do some research. Is it not working because our system isn't on target or we're not reaching the right target market, or is it not working because we're not doing something correct or we need to pivot? And so I always take my time to really focus if I'm going to shift because it's really easy to do. Oh, there's another shiny object in there. Oh, somebody else is doing this. Oh, maybe we can do this. And if we add this, then our system will be just as good at that system. You really have to make sure that your vision is still your vision. There's going to be a lot of shiny objects around you to make you want to pivot, but you have to make sure you're pivoting for the right reasons. So I think pivoting is great, but for the right reasons, not because, wow, the competition's coming out or you had the best idea, but now somebody else is out there. So you got to make sure it's your vision and you stay true to it all the way through. And if you need to pivot because the market's changing, that's, that's a different story. Right. Amazing. Thank you for that. That's, that's so wonderful. It made me think about with, with, with alpha, we really decided to focus. So it's not really pivoting, but we really, we were doing, we've done a few different asset classes and and then we decided to really just focus on the needs base. So like housing based. And so we've done some self-storage and we've done some office here and there, but then, you know, it is that focus. And then, and so it wasn't a pivot. It was just more of what you said about just like choose that path and stick to it and stick to it long enough that you don't give up right before, you know, right before you, you would be otherwise successful. So I really, I really appreciate that, that insight. Yeah. And then once you get to the level that you want to be at, then you can start adding in additional areas. But I think that's the biggest mistake is that people get and they stay narrow initially, and then they, they, they aren't moving fast enough, or, you know, they're not getting enough information. So they start going big as far as the vision. And unfortunately, it's hard to implement big. You know, it's, it's really hard to implement big. I mean, you still have to stay focused, your vision could be big, but those steps still need to be taken. Those small steps still need to be taken. And so it's hard to go from zero to like, all of a sudden you're at, you know, doing every asset class. Well, it's funny because most people probably don't know this because it was a decision that was changed in the infancy of, of Alpha. But when we first started the firm, the intention was for Alpha to be a very large alternatives marketplace of sorts. And at the time, In addition to real estate, we were looking at solar deals. We were looking at venture deals. And I feel like it was like a month in, we're like, this just doesn't work. You know, there's too much going on. There's too much noise. We're a small team. We really have to focus on X and we have to get really good at at X before we can convince people to trust us, you know, with their investment capital. Right. And so, yeah, I think that's a really, uh, really good point. And then you took the next step and you really stayed focused and now you guys are growing. So, I mean, it's, it really says everything about that process. It's just, it's, it's harder to do than people think because everything looks so good. And it's like, wow, but if I did this one deal, then 
that'll make a difference. I mean, even with building a technology company, we want to put so many features in, but you have to stay super focused because the system has to be consistent, work together. It, it, you have to have a really interesting and a great user experience. Same thing on the investment side. You really, you need to hit the numbers, but you have to stay super focused on what you're providing to your investors. Yep, it's very easy to get distracted by shiny things. It is so easy. So, so easy. And because I've been an investor, I am so sensitive to investors because I've had, you know, I, I'm just very sensitive. It's almost like, you know, if people put their trust in me and give me their capital, I'm going to make this work no matter what. And I'm going to stay focused and, and for them. But yes, there's so many shiny objects out there and so many deals and so much to do. And that could be the next one. That could be the great one. And it's, it's, it's hard to stay super focused, but it's also recipe for success. I agree completely. I've, I've been really seeing that. I appreciate that so much. I see a lot of that in, in, in our partner FARC, like I'm shiny object syndrome, you know, one, like that's me, like at that, but that's also my nature. I'm always out there looking at things and finding opportunities and, and talking to people and, I'm so appreciative of the way FARC is so focused on like, know this thing. Like I remember coming into alpha and, and obviously I was coming in from more like single family, like hard money lending side. And I remember saying, Hey, I think we should look at single family rental space because I knew that it was a growing space coming at it from the other side. And then we started doing single family rental portfolios in our own way. When we start like like last year, so it's also a timing thing. Like I was like, oh, this should, this is a great idea. Let's do it. But it took a few years to figure out a first of all to get really good at what we were doing then, and then when the time came to your point of looking at how could we do this in a scalable way, which is actually really challenging to do with single family rental on the equity side. Um, and then we figured it out. So that timing and that focus, and interestingly, like that focus actually allowed that other that other um, asset class in this case for us to actually be possible to do. And in a way right now is the best time to do that. We think so anyways, but I just, that really made me think about, about that coming in and taking that focus and building, building, building. And then when you're ready to, to go into that next step, like I'm sure with Jaspi that the idea is already planted for real estate. And then when the time is right for that, then it'll come forward. And right now you're seeing super hyper-focused on the core product. Yeah. And it's, it is the issue of going back to what is the thing that surprised me the most is that even when you're super focused on what, you know, you have to do in the steps, you just, it takes longer than you thought. So as you said, it, two years, and then all of a sudden it sets you up for this opportunity to go into this direction and I think we're at the same spot is we have now the system, we just finished a massive sprint and we're going to have all these new features. Now we're at a point where we could add real estate, but we couldn't before because we're still onboarding customers. We're still in the private markets, but there's just so much to do. We just added, um, we have access now to about 27 million private companies that we're going to be adding into the system through some of our data providers that we've created partnerships with. So having that and bringing that online and then being able to bring on real estate is, you know, you have to do it in a way that's, that's timely, but it does take longer than you think. And when you get to there, you're like, okay, what's the next step? And it becomes very obvious the direction you need to go. Yeah. 
I wanted to ask you this. You've been, as far as I can tell, knowing you for the past several years, you've, you've had a real focus on data. I would say that's one of the things that I really picked up. How important is that for companies? And I know it's really important for what you're doing with Jaspi, but how much is that shifting the world business? Like you're seeing it now from the inside. So I was curious to get your insights on that. It's an interesting question. You know, I think that it's always going to be a focus. I mean, collecting information, whether it's being in real estate to be able to make investment decisions or collecting data for for several different reasons is always going to be important. The key now, and this is why AI and you know that whole machine learning ha- has had an incredible sprint for a long time now. It's had an incredible run is because there's so much information out there. So how do you parse the data to make it actually valuable to what you need? And so I think data is always going to be important, but curated or that you can actually use that is important to you is going to be, is always going to be important. Otherwise you just have a bucket of information and you got to keep sorting through it. I'm like that. What's, what's the saying? Like what, what gets measured gets improved. I think that's it. It's, it's so true. Like the number of times that we're having conversations like I want to know what percentage of X, you know, behave in Y way. And she's like, well, someone's got to actually measure, you know, that and then look at it over a period of time and analyze the data. And it's a long way of it's it it's so valuable, but so hard to to kind of get going in the first place, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Because that's why early stage companies, it's just like you can have an idea, but you need to have the information and the data to sort through to, to really see if that is going to be the direction. Like with Jaspi, we have an AI component that we're building out, which is going to be weighted characteristics. As I mentioned, my partner Perry comes from the behavioral science side and she has an intellectual, she has a property that weights the success of an early stage founder. And so part of that is going to be part of the AI piece, but you have to be able to have enough data to be able to come up with characteristics of successful founders. And so we are now in that phase to do that, but it does, you you can't just come out with it without the data and it does take time and to build it, but yes, absolutely. It's hard. If you want to be a founder, you, and you don't need data, then you can just continue to grow and, and expand. And that's the interesting part. And even if you have a technology platform, all that information is going to be um, curated over time. And then all of a sudden you'll wake up with all this information that will be useful. Yeah. It's always an interesting balance from my perspective, because you want to be comfortable at some level with making decisions from your gut. You know, you, you understand the environment you're in, but oftentimes I think when, when we do that, it's a little bit lazy because we haven't gone out and collected the data and, and analyzed it and said, you know, this is the reason we're going forward. We say, oh, it feels like this is the direction we should go. And so it's it's always interesting, you know, balancing those two uh, elements really of any decision. I, I agree. And when we first started this, we did a lot of voice of customer. And what's interesting is that's now pivoting a little bit because there are, we had so many customers, large institutions that couldn't wait to use Jaspi. And now it's interesting because the middle market of institutions and corporates 
are really focused on what we're doing. So it depends. So that information changed and the large institutions are interested in JASPI because it helps with their digital transformation. And they're all focused on that now. So how do they do digital transformation and how do they track it? How do they keep track of it? How do they see innovation in companies that they would never be able to find on their own? So it's an interesting marketplace, but absolutely. Otherwise, it's just like, okay, let's do this. Let's let's use this as a customer. Let's go to this. But it really has shifted and changed. And if we didn't start with all that interviewing and voice of customers, we would never have known. So it is a process. I'd rather just sometimes go with my gut. Let's just go down this path. <laughs> Yeah. Because it is easier, but in the long term, it's sometimes you need the information. Yeah, I think you're a great example of that intuition intellect, which for me is is so is so important is like following your gut and then validating with the information. And as we've been having this conversation, the the example that came to my mind about the sort of like what not to do, even though it seemed really successful for a long time, is we work, right? Where they had I mean, so much money. And then they were doing we this and whatever, all the we's that they were trying to do. And then ultimately they were so unfocused amongst other things. I'm sure there were other reasons, but that was the example that kind of came to my mind when we were speaking about the focus and not the shiny objects and not trying to be too big, too fast and, and like having a lot of data, but again, the distraction factor there to me, that was my example for that. It was, that was, that was, I mean, that was incredible the way they grew so quickly and the concept of community. I mean, they built this concept of community, but it didn't seem like it was enough of a solid foundation with regards to the real estate. So Mm -hmm. it just, when, you know, you're not on a solid foundation, but you have this sense of community you're creating. Like if you think about Uber, I mean, the, 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 the show is coming out to talk about the founder of Uber and you know, his vision. And he really was a visionary to be able to create a company from nothing because the technology was there. I mean, they're not a transportation company. They're, I mean, they're a technology company. And so they grew so fast. There's another example. They hit a trend, grew so fast, but then in this downturn, they're having to reinvent themselves. It's not, it's an interesting time because people are at home. So now their financial model changes. So interesting how, and so they're doing Uber helicopter, Uber drone, Uber delivery. And so it's, you, the talking going back to pivoting. Yeah. I mean, so many changes happen and it's really, can you survive those changes? Well, that brings me to the one, and we've kind of been going through a lot of this, but maybe in, in just like a few points, like you've already given so much wisdom and so many insights, but for people thinking about investing in a startup as in from an investor perspective. Now, what are like a few top, top things or top tips that you would, that you would give somebody listening to this and saying, well, I, I want to, I want to invest in a startup. You know, what are a few things that you would say to them? Well, I think what's really important is the time factor. First of all, I mean, I'm not, we'll get into the team and the idea and stuff, but the time factor, whatever they're, they're saying, we're going to cash out and, you know, within 12 months or 24 months. And you're laughing because we've all had that. We've all talked to people where it's just like, this is the best idea. It's going to be bought in a year. It just, you know, you see stories of it happening, but that's the few and far between. So if you're going to invest in a startup, make sure that you understand that this is like at least five to 10 years your money is going to be tied up five to 10 years. Now, if you get lucky, maybe you'll get cashed out in four, you know, if not so lucky, it'll be 10. 
But the reality is it, it, businesses need time to grow. Now, could you, in what's going on with NFTs and digital assets, I mean, could you get cashed out within a year? Yes, absolutely. But realistically, if you're going into an early stage company, they need time to grow. And you have to have a realistic view of what the exit timeline is. If you're going to invest, make sure that the team is solid to me is so important. And I'm not just saying solid has the capability to implement and execute. I think that is essential, but also are solid people, solid humans, just have a good value system. And I think when people are investing, they really have to, they see the shiny object and they're like, oh, I'm going to invest in this. This is so great. But the deals that have been very successful for me are always with founders that have not only a vision, but they really have a good solid value system and they value the investor and they're providing investor updates. They're providing information that the investor needs. There are many early stage startups that you can invest in, but you end up not getting updates. You end up not really hearing about what's going on with the company. So I think that's the most important thing. Now the idea, great. But to me, the idea is third among those three aspects. Well, it's, it's interesting because like when, when Adapi asked that question, I was like kind of half jokingly saying like, don't do it. Right. You know, that, that, that's my <laughs> advice. And the, re- the reality is if you're not a professional venture investor, you're almost always getting in over your head and there's just too much nuance to investing into a brand new company. And then I think what people oftentimes don't understand is that the way that VCs often make money is that they carve out these pro rata rights for themselves. So they can double, triple, quadruple down on the companies that do perform well. They're not taking their money and throwing it into one company and hoping that it's successful. It's spread out across a bunch. It's strategic. Uh, That was always my, like when friends ask me like, oh, do you have any good startups to put money into? My answer is usually no, but you know, every now and again, I'll send someone somewhere and you know, it, it is what it is, but that's something I, I wonder if that's how you think about it as, you know, as a professional investor speaking to, you know, an unsophisticated, you know, startup person. I, it is something I do think about, you know, there's uh, the issue is there's a lot of things that early investors that go into deals when it's seed rounds don't know. They do have the largest opportunity to make to to get a return if they go in the early stages, but it's the highest risk and they do get diluted along the way. So if you're investing at that level, you're either investing at that level, which is smaller dollar amounts and you take more risk, but you have a larger opportunity to get an exit, even with dilution, or you go in like the banks do and the investment banks, you go in right before the company's going public but the value of that company is going to be very high. So I think you're absolutely right. I do think of it that way. You invest in a number of different companies, but you really have to vet them well. So I find that some of the investors now are going into companies because they have a passion for it, whether it's robotics, AI, or um, anything else. And they have to know that they could get diluted. And so you're absolutely right. It's just you either have to know the founder, you have to get the expertise of, and have a passion for it. And I do know a number of investors at that level that just put money everywhere. And then they just figure they have time, they're going to wait, they only need one or two companies to really become, you know, unicorns or 
big companies and then they'll cash out and it'll pay for all the others. Yeah. Well, I, you said something before, and that's like a whole other episode, Dan, that I want to do is when you mentioned NFTs, because these NFT communities are like web three is like a whole new version of startup and founder and the way VCs exit. You made me think about this, but, and how much it's still about the team. So anyways, that was just like something that I was thinking about because there's a lot of this web three and how you vet, because you said like, you have to vet the founders and you have to vet the team because ultimately that's who's, who's going to drive the the success. So yeah. So Tracy, this has been so wonderful and thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing so much, so much wisdom from, from both sides, from both sides of the table. I did want to ask you one last quick question, which is what does wealth mean to you? Wealth means, it's interesting you ask that, wealth means peace of mind and being comfortable. I mean, first of all, I really love your podcast. You you. do an amazing job and this real wealth, real health. I mean, health to me is number one. I mean, that's a priority, but people that are really healthy and dynamic, sometimes they lose that whole peace of mind. They're always driven. They're driven. They're trying to get to some end result, but it really is being comfortable and having peace of mind. And so if I'm going to go into a transaction or a deal, or I'm going to do something, I think to myself now, is this going to create chaos for me? Because the truth of the matter is we all have chaos in our lives. And so I want peace of mind. That's the most important thing. That to me is wealth outside of, you know, your health and your family and your relationships, having peace of mind to be able to sleep at night and not worry about what you did or didn't do to me is, is definitely a large factor when it comes to wealth. Oh, beautifully said. Thank you for that. Yeah. Peace of peace of mind. That's the first time I've heard somebody say that, but I really appreciate that. The, that what, what that gives you, you taught me to be very centered in my, in my energy because my squirrely tendencies and my, my shiny object syndrome actually cause a lot of internal chaos. And that was one of the things you did teach me was to be centered in my energy in a very dynamic world. So it's great. No, I, I feel like I love this podcast. I love what you're creating here and you have a great team with what you're doing in business and what you're doing here. And I'm so happy to be able to come on and and chat with both of you. And uh, it's, it's just awesome. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thanks for tuning in to Real Wealth, Real Health. We hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and found it both informative and insightful. We welcome all your questions and your feedback about today's episode. And especially, we welcome your questions about specific topics that you would like us to cover. So shoot us an email at podcast at alphai.com. And if you have a moment, we really appreciate ratings and reviews as it helps us grow our online community and our interactions with you. And we'll also be linking to a number of relevant articles on topics that we might've touched on during our conversations. Some of them are broad, some of them are technical, but we're always aiming to provide information that helps you better understand the mechanics of building this healthy financial foundation, especially if you're looking to do this with real estate. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.